Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, you know, a few weeks ago, I did a three-week series on the storms of life. Anybody remember that? Okay. Well, I thought I was finished with that, but I'm going to do one last session on this, and we'll, we'll get through it. Um, I think we have plenty to... I, I'm going to try to do it in one, okay? But, um, you know, we talked about the storms of life. We talked about different things. I'm just not going to go back into it all because there's too much and too little time to get to what I want to do tonight. So if you uh, don't remember that, you can go back to the website and pick it up there and listen to it again. And, um, but tonight we're going to move on to something else. Um, if you focus on the external storms of life, you may be forgetting something. You may be forgetting that there might be an internal storm going on. So we're going to talk about some internal storms that could possibly be happening. We've got some examples of all that. And uh, to be honest with you, sometimes the, in, the internal part is worse than the external part because it has more lasting consequences. So we're going to talk about some of them. Our natural tendency is just to focus on what's going on out here. My body is, my body, there's something wrong with my body. There's something wrong with my finances. There's something wrong with my marriage. There's something wrong with my kids. There's something wrong here. And we, and we just look at all out here, and we don't sometimes, you know, take time to look and see what's on the inside. We just want relief. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just want relief from the pressure. You just want relief from the pain. You just want relief, you want all this to, to just be okay and it all to go away and, and not have to deal with it anymore. But usually if there's an external storm going on, there's an internal storm going on as well. And uh, it's natural, you know, to be emotional about things. God gave us emotions. Can you imagine what it's like not to be joyful? I mean, Tim said that tonight. I mean, he, his joy is back. He's something he hasn't felt in a long time. Listen, that's a God-given emotion. He wants us to enjoy those aspects of our life. I mean, he wants us to enjoy all those things. But, you know, there's a negative side to emotions. And in that area, we, we need to find out how we can be stable in our emotional life. You know, it's natural to have an emotional reaction, but it's supernatural to find God's peace, God's strength, and God's stability to keep us strong, steady, and secure. That's what it's all about. We, you know, that is re part of renewing the mind and disciplining our flesh. That's really what that's all about. But we're going to talk about some different people in the Bible. We'll see about some of the things that they, that they were dealing with. Number one, Jonah. Okay, we talked about Jonah. Jonah was in, the, was in a storm because of his disobedience. We see that he was, in the, he was in the belly of a whale. I mean, that is not the optimum place to be. But he understood when he told them to throw him overboard that it was because of his disobedience that he was in that place. And that because of his disobedience, he was putting other people's lives at risk. And so we see that, that his, his storm was caused by disobedience. Now, here's some background. Nineveh was the capital. That's where he'd been told to go. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Now, Assyrians and Jews were bitter enemies. Bitter enemies. They, they, they didn't like each other whatsoever. There was a lot of prejudice between the two of them. So Jonah 
had a problem internally. His whole attitude was, I don't want to go be a blessing to those people. That's an internal issue. Amen? Y'all are going to be with me tonight, right? You're going to stay with me. All right. So his disobedience was rooted in his own internal struggle, his own prejudice toward these people, his own likes, his own dislikes, his own opinions about what he should or shouldn't be doing. And to be honest, you know, he, was, he wound up being obedient, but you know obedience by itself is not good enough. What does the Bible say? What does Isaiah say? It says, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Well, how do I know that that Jonah, Jonah still had an ongoing issue. He went to Nineveh, all right, and he ministered what God told him to minister to those people. And they changed. If If you want to find, can you find Jonah real quick? It's back there in those little books, you know, close to the end of the, of the Old Testament. And I'll wait for you to get there. Y'all shout at me when you got there. Amen. Good. Okay. So, in uh, Jonah chapter 3, it talks about the fact that Jonah went there. And he, in the, on verse 4, it said, he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. They humbled themselves before the Lord. And it said, For the word came before unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and its nobles, saying, Neither let man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And God's, I mean, does this look like people who have changed? That means when we say the word repent, it means to turn around, to go the opposite direction. Does, it, does that give you a picture of the fact that they repented? Wow. I mean, he proclaims the word of the Lord, and they took it in, and they responded to what he had to say directly from God. And it says in verse 10, God saw their works, they turned from their evil way, and God repented. He changed his mind of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Wow, this is great. Okay. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. That right there tells you he was obedient in the letter of what God had told him to do. But in his heart, he had not addressed the problem that got him in trouble to start with. It wasn't just, now for for their sake, for the people of Nineveh's sake, thank God he did obey and he did go and he did say what God told him to say. But in his heart, he was angry. If you read the rest of chapter four, this is, and it ends, you can tell where God had a chat with him about his attitude. It does not record that he ever changed his attitude. I mean, we can only hope that he changed his attitude. 
But here he is in disobedience, but his disobedience stemmed from something that was internal, not external. You know, there's a lot of people that do that. Here's the deal. God worked his plan through Jonah, but he wasn't able to work his plan in Jonah. There was a transaction of ministry through the man, but there was no transformation in Jonah. We don't really know what happened to him. We don't know whether he succeeded in the rest of his life. We don't know if this is the only thing he ever accomplished. I can tell you this, if he didn't, his attitude in this situation did not earn him any rewards when he got to heaven. It didn't. And so sometimes we have to figure out um, whether our disobedience is rooted in attitude. Mm-hmm. When the Bible says give and it should be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's lots of people who ignore that altogether because they've got an attitude problem where money's concerned. Whether stingy. That's just all there is to it. They are not generous people. They're stingy. You know, if your heart doesn't, doesn't agree with God in, in areas and you choose not to obey what he puts in the word, you have an internal issue. You have an internal issue. Uh, you know, we read the scripture all the time. Go to, with me to 2 Corinthians 9, and you could probably quote it. But this I say, verse, starting in verse 6, he who sows sparingly, that is stingy, shall reap also stingy. He who doesn't give at all is not going to reap anything. And then he who's, who's stingy, you know, won't reap anything, but just a stingy portion. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Every man according to, as he purposes in his heart. That deals with the attitude of the heart. When you purpose in your heart to be generous, when you purpose in your heart to be stingy, it's your choice. You know, and, and there are times when I've seen people who have a generous heart but don't have maybe the means. Listen, there's a verse in the Bible that says to ask seed of the sower. You know, there's been times when I said, Lord, I, I would like to do that. I'd like to give that. I don't have it. If you'll provide it, I'll give it. You know, there are times when God provides you with something. It's not meant for you to use it on yourself entirely. Sometimes God will give you something. In fact, it happened to us last week. Somebody gave us something in Canada. We immediately turned around and gave every bit of that to somebody else. And when I came home, I took the tithe out of something else. I just added my tithe, you know, into that. I, just didn't, I didn't take it out up there. I just went ahead and left it there. And when I came home, I, we tithed on that. There are times when God give, provides you something. He wants you to give part of it and keep part of it. No matter what God puts in your hand, the tithe of what he put in your hand belongs to him. You know, I, I, I happen to know that there's people who've come and they've told me over the years, you know, oh, God bless me with this. I mean, he just, he just blessed me with that. And I never saw a dime of tithe on that, on that blessing. Never a dime. Listen, that's not the way to keep getting blessed. If you can't at least 
put God's portion where God told you to put it, he can't bless you from there on. If you're not open to hearing what God wants you to do with what he blesses you with, then you've got an attitude problem. And when things go wrong and the blessing's not there, disobedience has its own fruit. But the fruit really stemmed from the attitude, not the action. You know, you just, you just can't keep doing that. You know, there's a, there's a way to change that. There is a way to change that. You have to do it God's way. There's, there's disobedience and attitudes where we want to do it our own way. We want to go where we want to go. We want to tell God how to bless us and where to bless us. But, you know, I found a, a verse over in 1 Kings 17, 4, where he talked to the prophet, and he said, he told him a certain place to go. And he said, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. That means there's a blessing waiting for you in a certain place. Now, what would have happened had he not gone there? No blessing. See, there are people who want to go their own way, do their own thing, be where they want to be, be out of their place, and still want God to bless them. God is not obligated to bless you when you are out of your place. When you don't go where he tells you to go, he said he had a blessing for you there, and there is where it is. You know, when my kids were growing up and they said, Mom, can I, can I have a cookie or something? You know, obviously they knew where the cookies were, except sometimes when Daddy hid the cookies somewhere you know, that they didn't know about. But if they asked me for something and I told them to go to the kitchen and they went to my bedroom instead, what are they going to find? Nothing. See, that's the what problem with some people is they get out, they decide they want to, no, I don't want to go where God told me to go. I want to go over here. I don't want to do what God told me to do. I want to do this. And then for some reason they go, I just, I don't understand why I'm not being blessed. Well, hello, if you'll just obey God, and stop trying to do it your own way, the blessings are already there. They're already, he's already made provision for you. And so you just have to listen to what God has to tell you. You know, there are times when uh, attitudes like jealousy and envy of others will get in the, because it cause a problem. Uh, I, can re, I can recall somebody right now from years ago who, you know, they, they just never, I mean, just seems like prosperity just wasn't for them. But later I discovered that they had a real attitude about other people. They were jealous when somebody got blessed. They were envious of somebody else's, what they had. You can't do that. Listen, the Bible tells us to rejoice when somebody else gets blessed. You know, like when, when Sunday night, for instance, you know, when people came up and, you, and then there were instantaneous healings, because you came up and you didn't get an instant healing, don't let envy or jealousy get in the way of your healing. You think, oh, that wouldn't, oh, I'd do. yeah, people do that. Well, well, how come they got theirs and I didn't? That's an attitude issue. It's an attitude issue. You know, if you're going to be, if you're going to be like that, don't expect God's blessings on you. You know, if you think you know more than anybody else on the job and then you're not blessed on your job, whose fault is that? God doesn't, that's not what, how God tells you to act on the job. He's got specific things he tells you about 
about on your job. You work, you do your work as unto the Lord. He tells you to just be gracious. Even when your boss isn't gracious to you, you can find those scriptures. He tells you how to, how to handle yourself. A man who won't work, won't eat. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can, you can put together, you know, when it comes to job situations. But if you think you know more than anybody else on the job, guess what? You're not going to find any blessings in that job. An old friend of ours, you know, who, who knew God, I guess, at one time. I, we went to church together, you know, as teenagers, and he moved on in life. And, and the little bit of contact we've had with him over the years he has been nothing but griping and complaining about everybody he's ever worked with. He knows more than the boss. He knows more than corporate. He knows and nobody else does a job like he does it. And, all this kind of, and he wonders why he never gets ahead in life. The man's as old as we are, and I don't know that he still has much to this day. But my heavens, you know, who in the world is going to bless somebody with that kind of an attitude? That's, that's just not being um, what you need to be on the job. Um, there are people who disobey God in, in, in just their relationships, you know, with, with family, then their relationships with, the, with any people in the church. There's uh, all kinds of, I don't need to be involved. Yes, you do. God never called you to a body, to belong to a local body, and for you to just sit. It doesn't happen. He says we're all fitly joined together, and, and when and joints come together, they're supposed to work. If they don't work, there's a problem. You've got some joints that don't work, it's a problem. In the body of Christ, it's the same way. We're joined, we're fitly joined together, what everybody, everybody supplies. Everybody has a supply. But you know, if you're going to be in disobedience, don't, don't be wondering then why you're, the blessings aren't there, why storms come. If it's you know, it's, it's not really the external thing that's the issue. It's the internal thing that's the issue. Uh, then there's the disciples. Now, the disciples, they're, they're out there on the Sea of Galilee. Storm blows up. Jesus is in the boat. They wake him up. He calms the storm. But really at the heart of their, of their storm was fear. It was fear. And you and I deal with fear in a lot of different forms. We deal with it every single day. If, if, if we, don't even, we don't even understand sometimes how subtle fear can become. Worry and anxiety, it's fear. Uh, I have a quote here from someone that says, Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. You know, sometimes we've laughed and go, Well, I come from a long line of warriors. That is not a good thing. You need to put a stop to that. Just because there, you came from a long line, that line needs to stop right here. You know, we, uh, the, the, the disciples got out, and you know, when the Jesus got up, and he goes, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? You know, if the devil can convince you that God doesn't care about you, that fear can become full-blown panic. But, you know, obviously the way to stop that is to just steep yourself in the fact that God loves you, that God cares for you, that he's provided for you, that he will always take care of you, that he ne will never leave you, he will never forsake you. He has it, he won't. That's just all there is to it. You know, sometimes fear can become that full-blown panic attack. I have been there. 
I know what it feels like to be so afraid that you can't breathe. Anybody besides me ever faced that? I mean, you seriously, you cannot breathe because panic has set in. It's nothing but fear on steroids. That's really what it is. You know, they say panic is the sudden, overwhelming, unreasoning fear that overtakes a person in the face of real or imagined danger. You know, sometimes we imagine things that are not real. I mean, if there's a, if a Cat 4 hurricane is coming your way, you're going to have to stand against the fear of that, of that thing. Don't get into panic mode. You know, but stay out of here. God is my strength. God is my, is my protector. I mean, there's, there's where you go. But if you give into it, panic is right on its heels. I mean, you can't, you can't afford to let yourself, when fear shows up, you have to stop it before it gets a foothold in your life so that you get to a place where you panic. That's a real, that's a real, a real thing coming at you. Then there are people who just imagine things all the time. I, I, I know somebody that th there was a situation going on. Now, it was, you know, it, it wasn't life-threatening. Um, it, was, it was important. It was important. I recognized the fact that it's important. And yet, they had taken this thing and already just made this a mountain out of a molehill. And I'm going, stop borrowing trouble. Don't make more out of it than it is. For goodness sake, you've got time to get this worked out. It's not like it's tomorrow. They've got, they had like six weeks to get this problem worked out. And yet they were acting as though if they didn't have it done tomorrow, the world is going to come to an end. Get a hold of yourself. Stop that. You know, there are people who just take, it, take one little thing and they, and they magnify it. The enemy will help you do that. One symptom. Okay, you heard a story about how somebody, this particular symptom somebody had, and suddenly they died from it, and so now that little symptom comes on you, and, you, and immediate, immediately the enemy will tell you, that's you, that's you, that's what you've got. You've got, you've got a headache. i got a brain tumor. Oh, Lord, oh, oh. Oh, this headache just won't go away. And it's a tumor. I know it's a tumor. Stop that. How many people have gone through so much agony and anxiety over nothing? I had somebody one time who wouldn't go to the doctor because of what they were afraid they might find out. That happens to a lot of people. And I'm going, why are you doing that? It could be nothing at all. It could be a simple fix. I remember this one lady. When she finally went to the doctor, it was a simple fix. Well, I've had those opportunities, you know, when, when something came up, and I'm going, okay, this could be serious. But you know what? I choose at this point to say, I'm not going to worry about it. Now, that's not sticking my head in the sand. You understand? That's not the ostrich who, who pretends nothing's going on when it's something is going on. That's not trying to convince yourself of something that, that's, you know, that's, oh, this doesn't exist. Yeah, you know, that, there, you know, we talked about fact and truth. There is a fact here. There's a symptom. There's, a, there's something in my body. But I, because I don't know what it is, number one, I don't know what it is. And so why am I going to waste my time and energy 
focused on something that I don't even know is even a problem? And number two, why waste my time and energy and focus on it when God's already provided the healing for it, if it is something? You know, you find that so many times in prayer requests when people just pray, I've had this test done, just pray that it comes back negative. No, around here, you know how we pray. We pray that it's accurate. A negative report can kill you when it's not accurate. I mean, you know, just, you know, because I, I used to work in x-ray, I mean, I, I've heard stories of, of people who came in, had mammograms done, and the report came back as negative, and... Six months later, they found something that was there that, that because it was so late, you know, in the game that they had either a major treatment or maybe it became a terminal condition. And you go back and it was on that original film all the time and somebody missed it. I want accurate. I don't want negative. I want accurate. Why do people do that? Fear. They put that on there because they're afraid of what they might find. Listen, if you're going to be afraid, the storm is coming. You're going to have to get past the fear when the, you, maybe, maybe you lose your job. My own son lost his job last year, got laid off. Some company he'd been with, well, he'd started out with this company when it was small, and then they got bought up by somebody. So between the two, you know, they had bridged his time, and he'd been with them for like 19 years. And one day they called him up and said, we're letting you go. They were re reconfiguring this department, and, and this particular project you've been working on, we're going to scrap it all together so we don't need you. And first time in his life he'd been without his job, been without a job. And I remember him calling and telling us, you know, about the situation. I said, you know what, God's got something out there for you that's better. And he told me later, he said, you know, that first couple of days, he said, I, I was just kind of... I was beside myself. He said, I just really, I was, I de it was devastating to me. Just be I mean, not just because, you know, of, of the fact that he'd never been laid off from a job. I mean, he wasn't fired. He was laid off. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, you how you take care of your family, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so just, you know, kept him encouraged, you know, that God's got something for you. Well, they gave him a great severance package. So he had several months' worth of pay that he could use. And, uh, you know, they would take care of his insurance for an extra month. And so I think we, I think he got into, like, the second month, you know, of being without job. But you know what? In the middle of all that, he said, you know what? About three days after he'd been laid off, when he'd finally, you know, gotten everything all put put together and returned everything to the company, gave them back their computers and, and you know, did everything he needed to do to, to make the severance uh, completely permanent. He went, he went uh, over the weekend, and when he woke up on Monday morning, he said, that's the most rested I have been in years. And I went, oh, good, good. It was a high-stress job. And as time went on, he... Uh, got a job offer from another company who sought him out. It was a good to God connection. Sought him out. They started him out making more than what he left his previous job making and with not such a high-stress place. Now, come on now. You know what would happen had he just stayed in fear? Where, would that job have been there? Listen, God's already got you, got you covered. Even if somebody lays you off, God's got you covered. 
He already knew, he already knew it. God knows what's coming down the pike. He's the original back to the future guy. And he already knows, he's already provided for you. Don't get into fear, don't get into anxiety, don't get into worry. If this didn't work out, God's got something better for you. Boy, that didn't get much amen. Okay, y'all are not too excited about that. All right. But you know what, we, we do this all the time. How about these kind of ideas? Okay, if I give, I won't have enough for me. Listen, that's something I struggled with for years because I grew up very poor. I mean, really, really poor. Um, we didn't have much of anything. I didn't have an actual store-bought dress until I was married. Now, of course, I was married young, but, but my mother made what clothes we had, my mother made all the time, and they, she did a great job. So, I mean, there was nothing really wrong with them, but I always had this longing for a, for a store-bought dress, like somehow they were better or something. Really, that my mother's sewing was a whole lot better than what you find in the store. But, but you know, I grew up that way, and so when it came time to start giving, now I understood tithing. Tithing was never an issue because I grew up with the concept of giving God his 10%. Did you hear me? 10, not five, not two, not one, 10, 10%. It's really easy. If you took math in school, it's easy to find out what 10% is. Some people don't know that, but 10% is 10%. But I never had a problem with, with that. I had a problem with all the extra stuff. And when pastor got into the word of faith and they started talking about giving and what you can expect in return, when you give as God leads you to give, he will bless you back. I'm just going, no, 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 no. It took a long time for me to get past it because, number one, I had a fear of not having enough. And I realized that for a lot of people, they don't give like they should to God because they haven't gotten past the fear of they won't have enough left for themselves. There comes a time in everyone's spiritual life where you just have to take a stand. There's a line in the sand, and you come up to it. Either I'm going to believe God or I'm not. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you, listen, you say, I can't afford to tithe. Well, as long as you keep that speaking into your life, you won't. You won't be afford, able to afford to tithe. But when you finally get into the Word and discover what God says about it and what He will do for you in return, and you're ready to make that step, He will meet you. He will meet you abundantly. Prosperity does not come overnight. It's a gradual process. And so for me, my attitude was a gradual process. You know, it, was, it took a lot to pry 10 bucks out of my hand. And, of course, that was, what, 1978, 77, 78, somewhere along in there. So, I mean, let's face it, back then, you know, we don't have the, 10 bucks was a lot, you know, in those days. Uh, it's, not, it's not much of anything. And sometimes you can't get 10 bucks out of people these days. But it was a lot more back then than it is today. But, you know, it, it, it's a process. You know, and you have to constantly overcome it. And, 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 you know, along the way, God will challenge you at every step to do more. Why? Because he wants to bless you more. He doesn't want to bankrupt you. 
He doesn't want you to go into your retirement years with nothing. He wants to bless you. And so when you start out by saying, okay, God, I'll trust you with tithing, then you get to a place where I will trust you with this. You have to speak to the fear of that thing in your life. You have to, you have to do something about it. And, and over the years, God will challenge you to do a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more. I, I recall back when we were paying off the building. It was amazing the things that, that people did during those 10 years of paying this place off. It's amazing how they committed to give. Did people fight the fear of, oh, maybe I shouldn't be giving this? I suspect the answer is yes. I suspect the answer for me was yes at times. I had a, I had a goal for every year during that 10 years of how much we would put into the building fund. And there were times when I thought, I don't know how we're going to do this. But that's what's in my heart, so we're going to do it. You know, at the end of that 10 years, I can't tell you where all that money came from. I just can't. But I know God was in it, and God blessed us, and God provided for it, and, he, and we moved on, and we're blessed today because of it. You know, now don't get, don't get to a place where you revert back to the disobedience part and go, well, I don't want to be that generous. Don't do that. When God's talking to you, obey. When he's telling you to do something, obey. Many's the time that I sit in a service, especially if it's a guest speaker or if we're at a conference or something, and I've got one figure in mind, God says, double that. Ooh, okay. You know, so there are still times where you're going to be challenged. Well, deal with the fear of, I won't have enough left for me. My philosophy was, you know, years ago, you know, the way we did handled our finances was, number one, God gets, gets the tithe first. Then we pay all of our bills because a good name is rather to be had than silver and gold. I want to keep my name good in front of people. And after that, whatever's left over is what we eat on. And there were times in the early days of the church where there was, you know, not much left to feed four people on. Never went hungry. That scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread is the thing that sustained us. In fact, I remember one time where I was just, I was just really upset with God. You put us over here and we don't have hardly anything. We have to coast into town on what gas we have, you know, and, and I, was, I was just really, really just like, God, really? I mean, come on. I mean, I was having a whiny day, okay? Nobody, anybody besides me ever had one of those? Okay. I'm sure not. Y'all, y'all are y'all are way way past that. So anyway, we were living out in Gilchrist County. Our mailbox was three miles down the road because we wanted to still have a High Springs address. That was the nearest. That was the last High Springs location. And so there was a line of mailboxes down there. We had put our mailbox down there. So there were times we didn't have enough gas to drive to the mailbox. So rode a bike, bicycle to the mailbox. Good exercise. I wish I still did that today, but. Good exercise. I got down there one day, and there was a, a little card from an old friend of mine, and in it was, I think, like 10 bucks. And she wrote in there, she said, the Lord told me this is just for Angela. And I, I, went, I didn't know whether to shout or be ashamed <laughs> that I had whined so much. But I just think, well, God, you know, in my, in my whining, you, you saw my heart, you know, and, and you just reassured me that you're always there to take care of me. 
this is just for Angela. I went, oh, how sweet. You know, there's times when God will do that for you, when he will just find a way to reassure you that he's on your side, that he loves you, that he's going to provide for you. He's taking care of whatever issues are going on. You don't have to be afraid. How about this? I can't do this. I, I, just, I, I just can't do it. That's fear. I, I can't do this. God tells you he wants you to do something maybe in your spiritual life. He wants you to come up to a new level. And you go, I, I can't do this. I've never been able to do it before. I don't, I don't really see any reason why I'd be able to do it. I can't. It's like dieting, you know. That Somebody was telling me this last week. We were having this conversation around food, you know, about the, I think it was Peter Rabbit. Or was it, was it Peter Rabbit? Was I'm going, to di- I, I'm going to go on a diet now. As he takes one more bat- bite, he says, now. I'm going to diet now. As he takes one more bite, now. You know, you know, to me, it's like, the, it's like the gone with the wind. I'll think about it tomorrow, you know, kind of a thing. Listen, you can do it. You can do whatever God asks you to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But sometimes we don't do what God's asking us to do out of fear of failure. Anybody ever done that? You know, I, I won't even try it because I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. I'm afraid I won't. I've done that over the years with different things, you know, on computer stuff and, you know, just different, different areas of life. I, I, I'm afraid I can't. I just, I, I don't even want to go there because I'm afraid I can't do it. Get rid of that. Get rid of that. That's, that's, just, that's just a fear tactic the enemy's using on you. How about I just feel like something bad's going to happen to me? There are people who will go around all the time just looking to see. Everything's going too good. Something's, go, something's bad going to happen. I just know something's bad's coming because, because life is too good right this minute. I just know it's going to be something. Ha- I just know, I, listen, we all know storms are coming, but you be prepared for the storms, okay? So they don't take you by surprise and they don't take you unaware and they don't take you unprepared. But stop with the, men, the victim mentality. You know, in, in, in Pastor's family, there was, there was this constant ongoing thing about his mom that he's told you about that, oh, I guess it's just not meant for me to be happy. Yes, it is meant for you to be God never excluded anybody from the ability to enjoy life. And he doesn't exclude you in any way. How about I'll never succeed in life? I'm just, you know, at this level, and I'm, I, I, it's never going to get any better. Yes, it will. Your fear... You're speaking that fear into your life. will keep it from coming. Stop that. Nothing's ever going to change for me. This is the way it is. Nothing's ever going to change. Yes, it is. If you think nothing's ever going to change, you need to look inside and see what you need to change. If people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Mm. We have all kinds of uh, insecurities that come out of nothing but fear. But it's an attitude on the inside that we need to change. We need to start seeing ourselves as God sees us. Number one, we're the apple of his eye. He's made us to be the righteousness of God in Christ. There's so much God has for us. There's so much how he looks at us. He loved us when we were unlovely. 
He sent his son Jesus to die for us when there didn't seem to be any reason to think that we deserved it. He thought we did. And if he could put out that kind of effort, that kind of resource, that kind of riches in our behalf, I'm telling you what, you are somebody looking to go somewhere to do something wonderful for God. Hallelujah. I don't measure up. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Don't let this, those kind of things get in your way. People will only like me if I, if I do something for them all the time. Stop that. Stop that. That's, that's just fear in operation in you. You don't get people by what you can do for them. If you look back over into the story of the prodigal son, he had friends as long as he had money. And when the money was gone, his friends disappeared. But when he went back home, his father didn't feel that way about him. You know, we can put ourselves in positions where people take advantage of us. But God is never in that position. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us without question. He loves us with every fiber of his being. Don't have to please people. Listen, get out of being the people pleaser. And it'll put you, if, if you continually stay, live life people pleasing, you will always put yourself in a place to be taken advantage of. That's not what God intends. He wants you to be, to be a blessing and a help to people by choice, not by obligation, not by fear. But he wants you to be able to do it by choice. Find out who you are in Christ with some of these insecurity things. Find out, that, find out that, that you are somebody to be reckoned with, that you are, you are just everything God meant for you to be, and everything you see in the Word, that's you he's talking about, not somebody else. You can look around sometimes, oh, well that, well, that applies to her, but that doesn't apply to me. Oh, no, that's how God uses him, but God would never want to use me that way. Yes, he does. He wants to use you. He has a unique place for you. He has a unique thing just for you. It's like every individual little snowflake is unique. Every one of us are unique in some way. And God endorses that uniqueness, and he wants to use that uniqueness. There's things about Zach that only Zach is able to reach a certain person. Somebody else wouldn't do, but because of Zach and who he is, he's, he's the ideal person to reach maybe this, this man over here or this woman over here, this coworker. He's the ideal person. But just find out who you are. Um, here's some, you just need to steep yourself in, in, in the word. I mean, you go back to that all the time. The answer is always the word, always. I'm going to read you some scriptures. In Joshua 10, 25, it says, Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 112, verse 7. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, firm, secure, fastened so as to be immovable, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 46, 1 through 2. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the sea. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace 
peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Mark 5.36, do not be afraid, only believe. Man, that's short, sweet, and to the point. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And you know 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Even Paul, the apostle Paul, had to deal with fear. Do you realize that? In Acts 27, 24, an angel came to him and says, do not be afraid, Paul. Isn't it nice that he actually said it by name? Listen, there'll be times when God will come to you and he'll say, do not be afraid, Kathy. Do not be afraid, Doug. He's calling you by name. Don't generalize scriptures. Those scriptures apply to you. Put your name in there. Make it personal to you. Listen, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 5 through 6. Paul wrote this. He said, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, those external storms. Inside were fears, the internal things that he was having to deal with because of those external things. So then he went on. He said, nevertheless, you know, there are times when, you, when you, you're going to tell somebody, this is what I'm going through. You need to follow it up with either a but or a nevertheless. And that's what Paul did. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Listen, in this particular instance, God sent a person to encourage Paul. And there will be times when God will send people into your life to encourage you if you're afraid. Let them encourage you, okay? Let them. Take the encouragement. You can't, if somebody, it's just like Miss Annie was, was doing on Sunday night, I want to give you this. What do you have to do? You have to reach out and take it. When somebody brings encouragement and comfort into your life, receive it. Don't go, oh, no, I, I, I couldn't possibly receive that encouragement. I couldn't really possibly take that comfort. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Oh, no, 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 no. Stop that. God is divinely sending you somebody to help you. Let them help you. Um, 2 Corinthians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it talks about God. He said, he comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Listen, when God sends someone or sends the word, the word that you hear in a service might be the comfort that you need. It might be the comfort that, that he's providing for you at that moment. Take that comfort and then use that comfort that you received to pass on to somebody else. You take comfort, and then you're able to comfort someone else. Not get in their pity party with them. Not get into their, oh, woe is me stuff. Not get into their victim mentality. Not to just pat them on the back. But say, this is what helped me. 
and I know it will help you. It came from God, and I am passing it on to you. Paul was also faced with despair. 2 Corinthians 1.8, there's that thing on the inside sometimes. You just get into a place where you're just despairing of life. And this is what he wrote. He said, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. This is Paul talking the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, all these epistles. Paul, that he found himself in a place at one point where he despaired even of life. I mean, let's talk, that, that's talking some negative emotions right there. He had to learn to deal with them. Don't get into condemnation when you have these kind of emotions come into your, into your life and into your thinking. You deal with them. Acts 27, verse 24, you know, he could have been in despair on that boat, that ship that he was on that was in the middle of a storm for two weeks. They didn't see the sun for two weeks. They were in the middle of the storm. He could have been angry. He could have been bitter toward the people who put him in that position. But God spoke to him. And he said, he had given, he said, I've given you the angel said to him, God has granted you all those who sail with you. That indicates to me that Paul, number one, did not get into an attitude of bitterness with those people who set sail, even when he warned them not to. But instead, he had to have prayed for them. Because when they set out, there was going to be great loss of life, is what God said. But he interceded, just like Abraham interceded for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe Paul interceded for the people on that ship. And the angel said, God has granted all of those who sail with you. Those lives, none of them will be lost. Just the ship's goods and the ship, that's all. Listen, a life is far more valuable than any possession. And then he said, he's, he's the man who overcame that impossible internal storm. That, let's face it, if you and I were in the middle of a storm and we told somebody don't do that, number one, our first our first inclination is, I told you so. And our next would be, how could you have possibly put me in this kind of a position? I can't believe you just can't believe. I mean, we could get angry, bitter. But this is what I love about Paul. Go with me to Philippians 4. We really don't have a complete list of all the things that Paul endured that could have possibly put him in despair. If he said that this, you know, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, that he had despaired of life, you know, there might have been more times than one that that had come to him. This internal struggle of just despair. And yet, in Philippians 4, verse 11, he says, For I have learned in whatever state I am in, therewith to be content. Amplified version of that, the least that is, says, I have learned to be independent of circumstances. He had to learn this. This is not something that you and I just automatically know. This is, this is something that you and I must learn. We learn by doing. We learn by experiencing these hard times. We learn by doing the right thing. We learn by putting the word into practice. But the key here is learn. Learn. 
Some people never learn. And that's why they stay in a consistent state of turmoil internally and externally. It's because they never learn from the things they're in. But Paul said, I have learned to be content. I've learned to be independent of circumstances. I've learned it. How did he learn it? Because he trusted God. He learned how to put his trust in God and to put away and deal with those internal struggles. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to, how about this? When, when somebody's done you wrong and you can't let go of it, what that does is that puts you in a vulnerable position. I had a conversation with somebody one time that, I mean, their life is truly a mess. I mean, an absolute mess. Not anybody, nobody, you guys would know. But their life is truly a mess. I mean, if it could go wrong, it's gone wrong. Problem is, you know, it's hard to tell this person that the part of the problem you have is of your own doing because they're not ready to hear that. But, you know, when I talked to them about something, you know, they, they began to tell me about how angry they were and how, how, how bitter they were and all this kind of stuff. And I, I finally said, you know, I want to help. But then they, they turned around and they said, but I know God said he'd never leave me or forsake me. I'm thinking, well, you really need to get a hold of that, some revelation on that. Okay. But in the middle of all that, I said, you're right. God will never leave you or forsake you, but can I tell you something? God can help you if you'll get past the bitterness, if you'll get past the anger, if you'll get past the resentment. It's a huge roadblock to his blessing in your life. And lo and behold, they listened to me. Now, I'm not sure what they had done, they've done with that since we had that conversation. But at least I finally had an opening to speak that into their lives. And I'm hoping and I'm trusting that that seed has been planted enough in them that it'll bear some fruit. Because really the only person unforgiveness hurts is you. It's just you. You got to let it go. Those are, that's, an internal, that's an internal storm that you have got to get out of. You have to. And I know this, this person said to me, I, I, I can't do that. I'm going, yes, you can. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I just began to list them. That's the fruit of the recreated human spirit. The Spirit of God, that has put his, God has put his own nature on the inside of you. And his nature is to love. His nature is to forgive. You have to just tap into his nature that's already on the inside of you. And see, that's what we have to do in that kind of position. Uh, Let's talk about David real quick. Acts said that David was a man after his own heart. David had many opportunities to fight internal as well as external struggles. How many, how many of us have been pursued by the king who wanted to kill you? Anybody? Anybody have that, that experience? Okay. So David has, has, has this going on. He finds himself in a cave. His men want to, to kill Saul because Saul's asleep. And David, there's an internal struggle here he dealt with, I'm sure, opportunity is here. God has provided me with an opportunity, you could think. He said, no, no, no. He recognized that as being wrong. And he told his men, you don't touch God's anointed. You don't do that. He dealt with that. There were, there were times when he had his internal struggles with lust led him to have an affair with Bathsheba, led him to murder her husband. And he's rocking along pretty good 
until this child is born. And the prophet comes and faces him, exposes his internal issue. What happened? He immediately repented. That's the kind of person David was. He immediately dealt with that internal problem. Gave his, gave his life back to God. He dealt with it. He acknowledged it. One other time, you know, when God or when David was out with his, with his men and he came back to their home base and found out the enemy had come in and had taken their wives, their children, all their possessions, and his men were so angry in their grief that they wanted to kill him. And this is what, what it says in, in 1 Samuel. It says, David was greatly distressed. For the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of them all were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There are times you and I are just going to have to encourage ourselves. We have to talk to ourselves and say, no, you're not going to have this kind of attitude. You're going to deal with this. You're going to take care of this. You're not going to let it keep going. You're not going to let it fester. You're not going to let it take over your life. There were some other verses. Um, Psalm 119, verse 52. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. So, I am going to run over just a minute. Uh, don't ignore internal storms. Deal with them because that can cause you more damage than an external storm. If you're in the middle of a storm, don't fixate on all this out here, but take a look on the inside. See if there's something you need to deal with on the inside. And if there is, you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord, get established, and always get established in his peace. In trying to establish yourself in his peace, you may discover some internal things that might need to be dealt with. And when you deal with them, God's peace really does come in. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.